I would like to offer a few reflections about inner peace and uh, human relationship, human relationships. Um, good relationships are uh, an obvious and uh, great help for our life and practice. Um, it is true that it is obvious, but uh, we often forget about it. So it is not so obvious. Um, a passage from the Buddhist scriptures from the Udana couldn't be more clear about this. Um, <clears throat> The Buddha says that um, if um, liberation um, has to ripen, then a certain number of factors are uh, needed. And uh, he says, uh, number one, a monk should have a, um, a spiritual guide, and the name means spiritual friend, Kalyanamitta. The monk should have compa companions devote, devoted to the good, again, Kalyana Sahaya, and uh, the monk should have, a, should have an inclination towards good people. So a good guide, good companions, and good people. This is the first factor, after which morality, right speech, energy, uh, wisdom are mentioned. And then um, soon after this, the Buddha seems uh, to emphasize again this foundation because he says, if there is this uh, very first factor of good guide, good companions, and good people, then the other factors are much more likely to blossom. So the foundation, the, the, the good relationships, um, um, are very, very clearly um, indicated as being the basic foundation of uh, the spiritual work. And uh, I think I have it, yeah. Somewhere else, in, uh, is, this is the uh, discourse uh, number 31 uh, from the Middle Length Sayings. The Buddha addresses one of his uh, most important disciples, Anuruddha, and he says, I, uh, who lives with a few other companions, other monks in a s small community, and he says, I hope, Anuruddha, that you are all living in concord with, with mutual appreciation, without disputing, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with kindly eyes. And Anuruddha says, yes, blessed one, this is the way we live. And then the Buddha says, but tell me some more about it, basically. <laughs> and... 
Anuruddha I know, says, it is a gain for me. It is a great gain for me that I am living with such companions in the holy life. I maintain bodily acts of loving kindness towards those venerable ones, both openly and privately. I maintain verbal acts of loving kindness towards them, both openly and privately. I maintain mental acts of loving kindness towards them, both openly and privately. Now, this is paradise. <laughs> So we we uh, we know this, and um, you know we we don't know this, um, especially in uh, in the Western contemporary world. Often, most of the time, energy it goes into work, into commuting, sometime uh, with the family, the rest of the time complaining and. Uh, <laughs> What are the good relationships? Um, um, the, the, you know, in order, I think, it's, uh, in order to enjoy the good relationship, but also in order to derive the uh, maximum benefit from the difficult relationships, uh, the basic foundation is, you know, working with the relationship with ourselves. Uh, I remember this famous line from a play uh, of Jean-Paul Sartre. Uh, one of his characters says, hell is other people. This is a famous line. Um, the root problem is not so much other people or uh, this person or the other person, but rather the way we deal with our mind, the way, the way we uh, um, respond to our minds. That the whole Dharma practice is learning a different way, namely a different relationship to ourselves. As long as we relate, uh, in a self-centered way to our minds, we are going to be in hell and we are likely to drag into it someone else. So something should be changed uh, in terms of how we relate to our minds. We might call it maybe right listening, you know, learning, learning the art of listening, of right listening um, to ourselves. You know, it's a, a, another way of talking about authentic practice. We might start by noticing that our listening to ourselves is selective, uh, is judging, um, um, often um, we just don't listen, it's distracted. So we, we are very ready to listen to ourselves if we are... Um, um, fantasizing about some interesting project. But as soon as uh, that um, pleasant line of thought ends, then um, we lose interest. So it's very selective, our way of listening to ourselves. It's the same with other people, you know. 
as long as the other person is entertaining us, we are very attentive. Then as soon as he or she starts talking about his or her problems, our face goes like this. Um, Or it's the other way around. Whenever we hear problems, we are very attentive. And when the, 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 the talk gets frivolous, then we don't listen. It's, you know, one way or other, it's selective. So it's, um, you know, it's, a, it's an art. It's very nourishing, and, and um, it is difficult. But I think having a, having a clear understanding is a very uh, good and uh, inevitable, uh, inevitable um, starting point. It, it, maybe we should, we should um, tell ourselves, you know, I, I, um, I listen to myself in a selective, judging, and cold way, and this way, being so radically unequipped, I want to have relationship with other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we should remind this yeah. uh, and uh, say this uh, <clears throat> slowly and loudly, <laughs> periodically, because it's the truth. You know? We were talking about our contradictions the other night, and this is another one. Uh, we have a very poor relationship with ourselves, but we want juicy relationship with other people. How can that, how can that be? Yeah, I was thinking that when um, when we say when we say I I meditate, I've been meditating for a number of years. Um, I wonder whether uh, we uh, think of the fact that meditation means um, getting uh, to change the way we relate to ourselves and to change the way we relate to other people. Um, sometimes, maybe even if we are uh, um, meditators, we, if we've been meditators for quite a time, we might be a little bit abstract uh, and uh, uh, simplistic. Like we expect, we expect peace, wisdom, and compassion uh, from Dharma practice, but. Um, we maybe do not expect that our perception of ourselves is going to change and our perception of other people is going to change. Um, you know, I wonder if you were told right from the beginning, right at the beginning, uh, you beginning this practice, listen, your, uh, your perception of yourself and your perception of other people is going to change radically. Uh, do you still want to practice? Who knows? <laughs> but this is what happens. 
Maybe fortunately, it happens very gradually. So um, we get used to the, uh, you know, this uh, unexpected thing, and we end up liking it because it's a change for, for the best. It's not a change for the worst. Um, but the perception, uh, the way we perceive ourselves, and the way we perceive other people um, changes. It's bound to change. Mm, we might say that this is not, it's not visible, you know, but say uh, we may happen to um, um, find a few notes, uh, maybe a meditation log that we uh, uh, were writing 20 years ago, and we are amazed. This is, a, this is a different person, and yet it's my handwriting, so it's me. So our perception of ourselves uh, you know, changes, and contextually with it, perception of other people changes. And actually, this is the foundation for those things which uh, we expect from the practice, more peace, more wisdom, more compassion. If this... Mm, change in perception does not happen, those fruits are unlikely to come. So, listening, listening to ourselves, listening to our thoughts. Now, this is crucial, listening to our thoughts. It is difficult but this is only the second problem, the fact that it's difficult. The first problem is that we don't like very much to listen to our thoughts. We uh, um, are not very much interested in listening to our thoughts, unless they are pleasant, of course. Otherwise, this non-selective listening uh, is not very attractive. You know, maybe you've seen this uh, in the last five days. Um, maybe we've developed uh, a good a good capacity <clears throat> to be with uh, physical sensations, and this is a huge help and uh, uh, you know a necessary foundation. But in order uh, to develop some listening um, uh, skill, uh, skill in, in, uh, in terms of our thoughts, in my experience, it takes um, a specific intention. You know, it, it is very much helped, and it, uh, uh, to some little extent, it comes from uh, uh, you know, training our attention on, on uh, physical um, uh, supports, but um, in many cases, uh, I include myself in, uh, in these cases, uh, it takes a, a, a specific intention. Um, like, you know, we are traveling on a bus or on a train, and um, we can decide to listen to what our mind has to say. We are not sitting in meditation. We are uh, riding on a bus or walking. Uh, and, uh, you know, we start. Uh, now, 
how come uh, there is a resistance when, when we start doing this? Well, usually we expect more from our mind contents. We expect more from our identification with um, mind states than from contemplating our mind states. We expect more. Maybe the next content is going to be it. And on and on and on. Look, listening or contemplating, uh, according whether we prefer the audio um, metaphor or the other one, um, is, a total, is a totally different uh, way of being uh, in relationship to our thoughts. So it takes training. But once, once we see, you know, the level of understanding, Larry was talking about self-knowing, that comes from becoming more familiar uh, in terms of awareness of our, of our thoughts, then uh, interests start to grow. You know, the level of understanding, the level of letting go of so much unnecessary suffering, the level of peace, and the level of empathy for other people, including their flaws. Ah, which is an interesting uh, reversal. We used to be interested only in other people's flaws uh, with no empathy whatsoever <clears throat> because of those, of those unbearable flaws. let alone ourselves, the worst. So perception changes. Um, Norman Fisher is a Zen abbot in California, and he's written a, um, this book, Taking Our Place um, came out, I think, this uh, last year. To truly listen is to shed as much as possible all of your protective mechanisms, at least for the time of listening. To listen is to be willing to simply be present with what you hear without, to, without trying to figure it out or control it. To listen is to be receptive. To do that, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be aware of and accepting of your preconceptions, desires, and delusions, all that prevents you from listening. But you also have to be willing to put these preconceptions, desires, and delusions aside so that you can hear what the speaker is saying for what it is. Because truly listening requires that you do this, listening is dangerous. I think this is unique. It might cause you to hear something you don't like, to consider its validity, and therefore to think something you never thought before or to feel something you never felt before and perhaps never wanted to feel. This feeling 
might make something happen within you that never happened before. This is the risk of listening, and this, I would like to add, is the risk of practicing. And this is why it is automatic for us not to want to listen or to drop from the practice. But listening, however dangerous, is a necessity. If you want to stay open to life and to change, you have to listen. To listen, really listen, is to accord respect. Without respect, no human relationship can function normally. When your mind is occupied, usually quite unconsciously, with your own thoughts and plans and strategies and defenses, you are not listening. And when you, and when you are not listening, you are not according respect. The speaker knows this and reacts accordingly. What about, what about peace? We said uh, peace and in relationships. Now, there are aspects of the peace which, can, uh, which we can find in relationships that are, which are very evident, like we are upset about something and we call up a good friend and we talk for half an hour and... Um, you know, um, we feel better after that uh, phone call. Uh, we, we feel pacified um, because of this conversation with a good friend. So this is um, evident. But we can deepen, this is a good relationship, uh, but we can deepen, we can deepen this. Uh, we can do things for our good friend. We... Uh, can give ourselves ourselves over. Uh, I remember this suggestion uh, from some spiritual um, teacher as a, as a rule of life: do as many little favors as you can. Um, so we can do many little or not so little favors to this good friend. Um, donate our time and energy. And realize ah, that giving is receiving. And that brings a lot of peace. A lot of peace. We, you know, we... Um, Okay, we, we give a chance to what is often called basic goodness to come out. And uh, we can do this thanks to the other person. Because of the other person, we have this possibility of enriching ourselves because of that other person. We get, we get more peace because of the other person because of what we are giving and therefore receiving to the other person.
a relationship, a good relationship, is or can be, maybe, an incredible, an incredible vehicle for developing non-attachment. Because in order to be giving and generous, we have to let go of a lot of self-preoccupation. And so uh, we develop more and more non-attachment. Again, uh, as Anuruddha was saying, this is a great gain. And there's a great gain for ourselves and uh, for the other person. And this is enriching ourselves and not only ourselves. But this too is happening because of the other person. Doesn't have to be a solitary enterprise, you know, getting more equanimous, getting a more um, non attached. We can get a lot of help. And while we get help, we give help, inevitably because this is a universal value. You know, call it generosity, call it non-attachment. I remember many years ago, Joseph, Joseph Goldzing, um, suggesting, you know, once you... Um, come up with a, a wish to make a gift to someone, do it immediately. Uh, now, uh, how come sometimes we have this, um, this impulse, but then we don't, uh, we don't uh, follow up? You know, some energy of self-preoccupation has taken over again. So that's why he said, do it immediately. So don't, you, you know, you don't... Uh, change your mind. We can very easily change our minds about these things. Oh, I don't have the money. Oh, no, you will be um, like um, an inflation, you know, to go and give things and things like that. Difficult even not so difficult, but a little difficult relationships are a mine um, of, of um, you know, in terms of being vehicle of training. Well, let's consider what we might call spirit of revenge. In small ways, you know, we can be visited by this spirit of revenge um, many times in a single day. If we are hurt, we are going to hurt. If we are hit, we are going to hit back. Often it's considered completely normal. And we can be very creative in ways of manifesting this spirit of uh, revenge. You know, from, from uh, um, uh, let's say, uh, a, very, a very stingy and dead smile. You know, we respond with this kind of smile to someone who has hurt us or, or offended us. 
or we can uh, say very few words uh, and our voice uh, our voice uh, uh, with a cutting edge you know um, and so many other ways to manifest our revenge and sometimes after we've done that we get really relaxed <laughs> you know we are even ah Finally, ah, we taste some relaxation. <clears throat> Too bad that this is toxic. This is absolutely toxic. And it's seed for further bitterness and hardening. And um, it is incredible, I mean, how much of this goes on all the time. Uh, we, were, we were talking yesterday with staff members uh, what an ideal workplace IMS is by comparison to other places where backbiting, you know, and all the rest of it is standard. It's normality. Dukkha. Lots of dukkha everywhere. If we are practitioner, you know, we start being able to contemplate uh, this negativity, this uh, spirit of revenge, how much it hurts other people, how much it hurts ourselves. But again, we can do this and we can uh, gradually heal from this because of the other person, because, as the Dalai Lama would put it, of the kindness of our enemies. Maybe we, we are not very awake to this fact right on the spot, but on reflection, the more we practice and the more we see this, that person uh, is still an unpleasant person. It's not that uh, everyone becomes radiant because we are a practitioner, uh, but we owe that person something. Uh, we, we start thinking in these terms and we know that we have, if we would never had thought in these terms in the past, and we would have considered it as crazy thinking in these terms, or uh, false, hypocritical, ridiculous. And now we start feeling that, no, it's true. Our, our shadow is squeezed out by the person who do not like us. Uh, you know, we are unlikely to celebrate and welcome and uh, the, this, this kind of thing, but we recognize more and more that saying everything is grace has some deep sense. But it, it, takes, it takes practice. Otherwise, more or less, everything is a disgrace. So again, the perception uh, turns over, uh, turns around, I mean, completely.
And of course, you know, we regress and we progress and we regress and we progress and we come to the conclusion that we are hopeless in our practice, but then, you know, uh, we have trust again. You know, it's that rhythm. We, uh, you know, we get used to it and then uh, we don't worry about it anymore. We keep going. Um, someone says somewhere, um, a very, a very important sign of progress, of inner progress, is when you stop worrying about inner progress. Not because you've become a cynical, of course. More equanimous, less ego, more love for the practice. less ambivalence for the practice, less attachment for the practice. So we mentioned, we mentioned basic goodness and the fact that it can come to the surface because of the work that can be enormously facilitated by both good relationships and bad relationships. You know, every little bit of... Uh, negativity of spirit of revenge that um, melts away, it's some basic goodness surfacing. It is not that there is an empty space with some some smoke coming out of it. Uh, But immediately, um, you know, it's like um, water in the sand. You know, you, you, you dig a little bit and then water starts coming up. Um, this is the Dalai Lama personally I find that an analysis of the basic pattern of human existence provides a most compelling illustration of this fundamental goodness of humanity if we look carefully with discernment we find that affection plays a central role in our life. Right from our earliest moment, through our mature life, and of course, finally, at the time of death, we are heavily dependent on the affection of others. It is as if the thread that runs through our entire life is the thread of affection. If our very survival, both as individuals and as a species, depends on others' care and affection, it is hard to see how hostility and violence could be the fundamental characteristics of human nature. Uh, I remember I've been always very touched by this uh, passage, uh, by the incredible truth of this passage. Uh, 
So the practice goes in in this direction, in 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 making us more and more aware of this truth. Um, we say, well, uh, mindfulness awareness is something that at first you exercise through effort, and then you know by dint of practicing and practicing it, it comes more and more spontaneously, which of course is is very true, but maybe um, also uh, a little bit um, simplistic. Say there is something crucial, which is mind relaxation. Relaxation, physical relaxation has a big role, of course, but if the relaxation, the opening, doesn't touch our heart and mind, uh, you know, physical relaxation um, cannot do it. Um, Our resentments and all the rest of it will come back. But this uh, deeper relaxation opens us up. So, to the extent that more acceptance, more um, tenderness, more affection, more openness uh, take place, to this extent, awareness comes more spontaneously. They're very connected. Training it is essential, but the uh, uh, spontaneity of awareness, of presence, of uh, simple being is very much connected with the inside relaxation, which is also called affection, uh, good heart, um, so they go together. Um, you know, terms like attention, concentration can be misleading. I would like to end with a beautiful short poem that I'm sure many of you are familiar with by the great Persian poet Rumi the guest house. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. 
Can we sit for a moment? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.